here tonight with your friends and uh, a joy to be able to think on these things with you. Uh, as Andrew mentioned, I get to teach at Cedarville University with college students every day. I love my job. Love my job. So it's fantastic. It's great. It's wonderful. And um, I'm also leading an initiative on our campus to help students think about whatever their major is, how they're going to engage in mission wherever they go with their lives to make the gospel known, to make disciples, to help multiply churches. I talk all the time about this in classes, wherever I can go. I say theology that does not result in worship and mission is a wrongful theology. And so I want to encourage us here tonight as well. I'm excited to be here to share this with you as well. And I want to just say before I pray and then dive into Acts 11, um, friends, it's always the case, but the moment within which we live is genuine in terms of need. The darkness that exists in our country and in our world is real. The only solution to this, regardless of political pundits or whatever else you want to say, is the gospel. Greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. We believe that. The gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And it's very simple and very challenging. The call is to go out to not safe places with people who are not yet disciples of Jesus to make the gospel known so that by God's grace, they become disciples of Jesus. That's the call on our lives. That's the intent of this weekend, to encourage us and to recognize we are all a part of that. Not just missionaries in South Africa or wherever else, which is definite missions work. Where we are, we are called in our neighborhood, in our homes, in our offices, in our, the restaurants we go to on a frequent basis, the gym we go to, to work out. We are on mission. Let's pray. Father, as we come tonight, Lord, I pray that you would work through your word to speak truth into our lives. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. And that only happens through a sight of and faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. And how, how will they hear without someone preaching? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And everyone here is in spaces and places that I'm not going to be talking to people that I won't talk to and others in this room won't talk to and we are quite possibly the access point they have to Jesus. I pray, Lord, that we would not assume others have other access points that we'd be bold, ready, loving, willing to make your truth known in our schools, our jobs, where we go in this world, that we would make Christ known. We would proclaim his greatness. Help us now, I pray, in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have Bibles, Acts 11 is where we'll begin tonight. Acts 11. Sometimes in life, we think of something that is of absolute importance, 
when in reality it's not absolute in importance. Sometimes, I've got one here, sometimes my, my teenage kids will operate in this way. They'll think this thing, whatever it is, is ultimate. And I'll say, that's an important thing. That's not an ultimate thing. Remind ourselves of those things. For, for me, I thought of one example of this. I can name many examples of this. I, I love hiking. Our family loves hiking as well. We were in Colorado last summer doing a lot of hiking on vacation. And uh, we just enjoy activities of family that way. And for me, what's ultimate with a hike is destination. I like, I'm not into like waterfall hikes. They're fine. I'm not into, oh, there's a nice meadow kind of a hike. I want to climb a summit and see a vista. That's what I want. And I'm like, let's get there. Destination. And my family kindly, sometimes mockingly, will remind me, uh, Dad, it's not just about destination. It's about the journey. Let's enjoy the journey as a family. Yes, that's true. That's also important to, to recognize. So as Christians, th- there are times we see the important aspects of our Christianity and contend to make them ultimate. And make no mistake, friends, there are important things in the Christian life and there are ultimate things in the Christian life. And the important things serve the ultimate things. And what is ultimate is that we would live our lives to the the glory of God, to the majesty of God, to the, hey, put the spotlight on him and say, he's great, he's awesome, he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, he's everywhere present, praise him, glorify him, worship him. Your life and my life is meant to show and to say that. There's a well-known line from a book by John Piper called Let the Nations Be Glad. He begins the book in this way. He says this, Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions. Because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It's a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. That's the ultimate reality is the worship of God because God is ultimate. So this weekend is about missions. Yes, that's an important thing. It's important, though, in pointing upward toward God himself. Why is mission so essential? Because God ordains that peoples and tribes and tongues and languages worship him and find their satisfaction in him. That's ultimate. Revelation 4.11 says, Worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. In the next chapter it says, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that's in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Can we just remind ourselves on a Friday evening, 
that's ultimate when so many times we can get so geeked about a football game or our next Amazon purchase. And to remind ourselves those are small things. What's ultimate is that God is known and loved and worshipped. So, because God is infinitely worthy of praise, we as God's people engage in God's mission until he returns so that he's praised by a people in Columbus and Ohio and the U.S. and the nations beyond. So, if you're taking notes tonight, very simple main idea for this, this message, and, and here it is. Here's the main idea. God's people engage in God's mission. God's people engage in God's mission. I didn't say God's pastors engage in God's mission. Though they do. Or God's deacons engage in God's missions. They do. God's people, all of them, engage in God's mission as we're called to. So Acts 11, just think through these things in this church in Antioch, what we see as an example here. Acts 11, verse 19, it says this. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there are some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord is with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Then flip to chapter 13, Acts 13 as well. Let's read this. Acts 13, verse 1. Now there were the church at Antioch, same church, chapter 11, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a long friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, I want to talk for a few minutes about the pattern we see of this church in Antioch and what we can learn from this pattern they follow. So, here's, it's a four-step pattern. First step, believe in Jesus Christ. That's step one. Believe in Jesus Christ. Now, just to, to rewind a little bit, Acts 1, Jesus says to the apostles, hey, I'm going to leave. I'll send the Spirit of God. You're going to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth, and make this gospel known. He's out. Ascension, gone. Day of Pentecost comes in Acts 2. Spirit comes and anoints the apostles. They speak this message of the gospel in various languages. Many Jews hear them and believe. Thousands believe in this gospel. And they 
respond and go from there. They're baptized. They form a church in Jerusalem of several thousand people. And it says they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, meals together, the Lord's Supper together, and prayer. Life is good. Acts 2 through, you know, 7 is, is relatively good. Then Stephen gets pulled aside. This guy's teaching wrongful stuff. He gives testimony. They decide to stone him. There's a guy named Saul of Tarsus who is there. And then he begins to persecute the church. It's interesting, in Acts 1 through 8, the church is like in Jerusalem. And Jesus said, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. Acts 1, 8, it's like Jerusalem. There it is, in Jerusalem. And God ordains to use Saul and even his persecution there to scatter the church from there so the word of God starts to spread to various places like Judea and Samaria and then the ends of the earth. We'll see it gets to Antioch eventually where both Jews and Gentiles hear the gospel and believe. Can I just say this briefly here, friends? Is it not amazing that no matter what, God accomplishes his purposes. He does. He does his will. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. And the next verse, Romans 8, 29, that is to be conformed to the image of Jesus. We likely would not put persecution under the category of good. Fair? But when the gospel is pressed out to a people who have not yet heard the gospel, that's good. And God ordains and accomplishes his ends in those kinds of ways. And friends, I want to even just say, it's beside the point for tonight, but to say even the difficulties of your life. I've got a student home this weekend with her family because on Monday, it's been one year since her dad died. She's 20 years old. She's home this weekend to be with family and just to encourage one another. And man, if she was here, she would testify to you of the grace of God in her life and God, how God has used that to accomplish things, even like testifying of the gospel to unbelievers in ways she never thought possible. God uses a variety of means to accomplish his good ends. And here, he's making the gospel known in a variety of ways. Don't miss that God is working to sanctify you and make you into a person that is useful for his purposes to make the gospel known to others that they may know Christ. So there's this one way of salvation, friends. I want to say here, like they, they go to Antioch. Some people go there. They proclaim the gospel and people believe. I want to say here on a Friday evening up front, the gospel is the power of God and salvation. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ who came. God the Son came, took on our humanity. He lived a perfect life on our behalf. He died on the cross for our sins as a substitute. We're, we're in sin in such a way that we can't make that up to God. We've wronged God to such a degree we can't make things right with him on our own. Something outside of us has to bring God and us back together. And the answer is Jesus. He's the one who came, lived, died, and then 
rose from the dead craziness and says, I'm Lord. Yes, you are. Either this is all a lie or you are Lord. And he is Lord. And he's calling all people everywhere to turn from sin, turn from self-sufficiency, and to believe in the gospel, the good news that he came, lived a perfect life on our behalf, died for our sins, rose from the dead, and the one way of salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. So to anyone here tonight who's here, and maybe you're here as a new person, haven't come to this church, and you were invited here, and you don't know Jesus and don't believe in the gospel per se, I want to say to you that Jesus is making himself available to you to save you eternally from your sins if you believe in him. Can I say to the people in the room who have been here for Sunday after Sunday after Sunday for years and don't know Jesus, can I say to you tonight, Jesus is here saying to you through a text like this, if you will repent of your sins and believe in me, you will be saved. Friends, if that's you tonight and you say, I want to hear more of the good news of Jesus and who he is and what he's done on my behalf, do not leave this place. Don't leave this place until you talk to someone here that you came with or someone around here to say, okay, tell me more about that and Friends, respond. Today is the day of salvation. Believe in this gospel. That's the first step in this whole process. So God's mission in the world begins with our believing in Jesus. And that believing comes about because someone proclaimed the gospel. And then believers are turned into proclaimers. That's step two. Proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. So first, believe. Secondly, proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Acts eleven nineteen again. There are these people who go to Antioch. They're speaking the word uh, to various people there. And they preach the Lord Jesus. Verse 20, it says, and people in verse 21 turn to the Lord. So here's my question. These, these people come to Antioch, start proclaiming Jesus, and people believe and a church is formed. Here's my question. Who are those people? Who are they? We have no names, no records, nothing Here's my, here's my hunch. These are normal, everyday Christians. Normal, everyday people who came to Antioch to say, hey, you should hear about Jesus and believe in Jesus. They probably heard the word of God at Pentecost. They probably got saved there, came back to Antioch, and started sharing the gospel there. Uh, they're scattered because of persecution. They're not deterred by that. They're going to go and be on mission to make the gospel known. They are not, as far as we can tell, seminary educated. Okay? They're normal, regular, Christian, gospel-loving, Jesus-loving people. That's who they are. They learn the Bible, they live in accordance to his teachings, and they want to make disciples and multiply churches. They say Jesus stuff people believe in Jesus. They say, cool, let's plant a church here and do this thing, and they do. We overcomplicate things sometimes. Can I, can I say that? We, we overcomplicate things at times. Like, well, we got to get a, a mission statement and a vision and a strategy and a this and a that and the other. And at times, we're like, man, just let's not, let's not complicate this. Let's just do the simple thing here. I was years ago in Uganda on a missions trip, 
uh, with my, a, a team leader there many, many times. And, and one day he's like, all right, let's go uh, share the gospel and start a church. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? We're here 15 days, bro. Like, share the gospel and start a, like, sure. I'm like, where, like, where? There's no, a build, you have a building to do this in? He's like, here's a palm tree. And I'm like, are you, are you kidding me? And he was dead serious. And I learned over those 15 days, that's actually pretty normal. Where does your church meet? Uh, that one palm tree by the, uh, the factory. Yeah, got it. Okay, so at times, we Americans, I'm just saying, can overcomplicate things. I was at a church in Franklin, Ohio, not, not long ago, and the pastors made a comment to say, hey, we have like 90 small groups here at this church. Love what's going on there. We love the fact that there's, there's small groups in geographic areas, and they're healthy, and they're growing, and we're pretty sure like those four, five, or six small groups will be birthed into a church sometime soon. It's just simple. It's like, well, yeah, it makes sense. They're there at a geographic location. They're doing this. They're healthy. They're saying, hey, we're here. We're away from this church building over here, so let's, let's plant a church. Make it known. Move forward from there. And, and can I just say, these people are driven by persecution to Antioch, and they're making the gospel known because they love Jesus. We talk about what we love so, for example, silly example, but for, for, for me, like, people know my favorite dessert is cheesecake. Particularly Cheesecake Factory cheesecake. I love that. I, I probably say it too often. Um, I've even had it at Cedarville a couple of times. A student will bring me a slice of Cheesecake Factory cheesecake. I'm like, I didn't need that. Like, no, no, no. You said you love this, so there it is. I'm like, well, God bless you and keep you. But um, I, didn't, I didn't need that, but I will eat it happily. Yes. Uh, so I, I do love that. I love hiking, right? My son loves certain things. My daughter loves certain things. I love, I love biking. So much, two summers ago, I biked 100 miles one day with a friend. That wasn't fun. That was hard. Um, but amazing. It was actually a lot of fun. It was very amazing. So your, your spouse, your kids, your friends, they know what you love. Why? Because you talk about what you love. If we're not talking about Jesus, let's take a step back and just ask the question, is our love aimed at Jesus? Because we'll talk about what we love. Amen. Andrew mentioned 1 Peter. I think 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you have not seen him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. People who love Jesus, you can't shut them up about Jesus. They make this known. And guess what, friends? We plant, we water, we don't cause the growth. God causes the growth. In your love for Jesus, can I encourage you? Just make the gospel known and leave the results to God. That's the call. That's what they're doing there. They're speaking of Jesus, proclaiming him. So God's mission in the world begins with our believing, and that believing produces people who proclaim the gospel, like the ones proclaimed to them. Then, as a church is established, which is happening all the time, it's built up through faithful word ministry. So third here, third step, exhort and teach for maturity in Christ. 
So we're going to believe, proclaim, and then there's this in the church exhortation and teaching that builds up the church of maturity. So we see in these verses Barnabas. I love Barnabas. The son of encouragement. That's what he's known as. What a guy. Amazing teacher. Kind. Uh, exhorts. Encourages. Always there in that way. And he encourages them in this text to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Again, to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, Barnabas says to them in Acts 11. Barnabas did not just want to teach information and perpetuate the status quo. He taught and exhorted for their formation and transformation to further the mission. I want to say that again for us here. He didn't just teach information and perpetuate the status quo. Hey, we're, we're here, let's just teach again and just kind of do the same thing for status quo purposes. No, he taught and exhorted for their formation and transformation to further the mission. So even on Sunday when you gather and hear from my good friend Zach Bowden on Sunday, you're gathering to scatter. You're gathering to be equipped, coached, readied to scatter. Wherever you go, again, job, neighborhood, the gym you work out at, school. Students here, if you're at public school like I was in high school, that is not an easy place to be on mission for Jesus. It's tough. It's tough. And I'm saying this exists. This exists to equip you and encourage you and ready you to say, I'm back at it on mission. We gather to scatter on mission. That's the idea. So Barnabas teaches them, exhorts them, encourages them, and Christians grow by means of prayerful, expectant, consistent engagement with the Bible, and the church was purposeful with this. It's like parenting, right? It's like parenting. Uh, we can't expect our kids to simply grow on their own in all the important aspects of life. You've got to teach them things, exhort them in certain ways, uh, and do certain things in that regard. Um, we, we were, you know, uh, I'll say about this the other day, we had, we had lunch with a family last Sunday, and man, have you ever, you ever gone to someone's home, and you feel like, we're, we're a fairly well-mannered family, but then you get with the family you're having dinner with at their, their house, and they're like, off the charts well-mannered? You know what I'm talking about? So we went there, am I right? So yeah, so like we're, we're there at this house, kind people, wonderful people. Sat down to lunch though, it was very much like, okay, this is like prim and proper time, napkin, like, I just, you just like felt very self-conscious about your manners and all you're doing there, you know? And so I was just glad that moment that we had not just entrusted manners to like, the kids will learn that somehow. No, we taught them over the years, hey, here's how we do things. Um, we teach our kids like, hey, hitting and screaming is not the way to deal with things as a, a teenager or adult. You got to grow out of that and, and learn how to deal with life. Um, if you don't know how, how the world works, you got to teach them. If we want to see the church grow, so believing, proclaiming, and then exhorting to grow, we got to teach them the truth of God's word. That's the idea. So, God's mission in the world begins with our believing. That believing results in more gospel proclamation. Church is established. 
to be built in word ministry that's faithfully given. And as that church grows in maturity through faithful word ministry, the call then is to engage in mission and to plant more churches. To do more of that. So fourthly here, engage in mission for the glory of Christ. Engage in mission. This is Acts 13. They're gathered together in this place. And the Spirit says, set apart for me Saul and Barnabas. I've got ministry for them to do. And they're like, great. They pray, they fast, they worship, and send those guys out. So engage in mission for the glory of Christ. Normal people worshiping together, seeing, hey, there are needs. Let's send out and be on mission in these ways. Let's go, send, do these things in these ways. So they're set apart, Paul and Barnabas, that is. They're recognized. The church prays over them and blesses their efforts. And they're, I'm sure, given money to go and given resources to go and do those kinds of things. We even see in chapter 15, there's a disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. It goes bad. Because Barnabas wanted to take John Mark in, in thir- verse 37. Paul said, no, he's already dumped us once. Forget him. And so they argue over this. And they split ways over this. And even there, that kind of bad circumstance, that argument that's there, multiplies the mission. Paul goes one way, Barnabas another, and more gospel proclamation happens. I'm not, I'm not advocating for conflict. Okay? I'm not saying that. But I am saying... Man, God's purposes cannot be thwarted. So good, so encouraging. You keep reading Acts, you see Paul, you see others going to the Gentiles, to the Jews, throughout Asia Minor and Greece. The gospel's proclaimed, churches are planted, leaders are raised up, and they plant more churches. That's the pattern. We see again and again and again. You read church history, that's the pattern. We see the church taking the mantle up to go and make themselves of all nations, baptizing them teach and obey Jesus' commands and go forward to make disciples and multiply churches. That is normal Christianity. Ordinary Christians making the gospel known, being equipped, some being sent out to start new works, new churches, so they can make disciples and be equipped and raise up and send out more. This is the idea. This is normal Christianity. In the pages of Scripture, that's the way we are described. It's the mandate for the church then. It's the mandate for us right now. Right now. So, just to say the pattern then is the pattern for us now. We're called to believe. We're called to proclaim. We're called to exhort. We're called to engage. So briefly here, just to say these these points together again. The pattern for us is believe, proclaim, exhort, and engage. If we're here in this room tonight and don't know Jesus, the call on your life is to believe in Jesus. That's the the call on your life right now. As you do, if you do, if you have, then all of us, wherever we are, are called to make the gospel known in conversations we're in in everyday life called to confess our sin, believe in Jesus, proclaim this to us, not just pastors, not just missionaries, all of us in our jobs, our neighborhoods, our restaurants, our stores, our events, our schools, whatever, people that we know, who are they, who is your one, or two, or three, 
Who are the people that you know that you're saying gospel words to? I was talking to a friend yesterday who pastors in Columbus, actually, not far from here. And he asked me, hey, do you know this name? And he, he gave me this name of this person. And I was like, no, I, I don't know that name. He said, oh, like, well, he was a Cedarville student back in, in this year he graduated. So that was before I was at Cedarville. So, okay. Well, I, I met him at my uh, CrossFit gym. He's a fit guy. And I was like, cool. That's, that's a cool thing. He's like, yeah, I, I've gotten to know him over time and have, in talking to him, realized this brother's not a Christian. Like, not a Christian. But he's interested. He, he knows all the right stuff. He's heard it all. But he is not, I mean, he's described his life. His life is a bit of a train wreck. Just total train wreck. Not in church, a long story there. But I heard a phrase from my friend. He said, man, like the gym, what better place to be to have my eyes up for people who need Jesus? And I just, I heard that phrase, eyes up. Eyes up. If you're like me, man, I can get tunnel vision. I got things to do, tasks to accomplish, and my eyes can be down or just kind of like here, just on this, and my eyes are not always up to see. And this guy, see, I got like 15 people at my CrossFit gym that I'm having conversations with. I love it. And just saying, do you have eyes up? Do you have eyes up to see who's around you who would hear these things? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. I had a chance to lead over 20 college students last March to Salt Lake City, Utah. One of our ghost city trips. I, I love this trip. And man, all five days we were there, it is evangelism. All five days. Mormons, there's a few there. And then, and then very, very, very secular people who hate religion a lot. And whether we were in Temple Square or BYU or a park across the street, we were there to have gospel conversations. And students were intimidated at first about that, and then it was so cool to watch them grow in joy and boldness. I saw, every day I saw that increasing, and man, there were some tough conversations. And students, by the end, were just like, oh, I love this. And I'm like, yes, and this should be normal. Not just this one we can march, but normal for us as we go through our lives in our various ways. Take opportunities in your sphere of influence to get to know people and make your testimony known and the gospel known. The church exhorts and teaches as well for we mature in Christ in a variety of ways. There's, man, kids ministry workers, student ministry volunteers, small group leaders, class teachers, pastors. Can I, can I just say tonight as an outsider, you all matter. All of you from like nursery through senior saints, whatever it's called here, I don't know. You all matter in equipping God's people for mission. You matter. I care. I cared a lot what my kids' ministry leaders said to my kids. Not just to be theologically correct, I'm, I'm all about that, but also to encourage them to be on mission with the gospel. I care a lot what my student pastor thinks and says to my kids and other students there. Yes, theologically, of course, but to equip them for the mission that God has for them. Your ministry matters 
in this church. Genuinely. What you're doing is equipping people to be on mission wherever they are. And then we engage in the work of mission. Someone once said, uh, either you are a sender of missionaries through your resources, money, prayers, all those things, or you're a goer. You go wherever it is that God calls you to, to serve in missions, or you're a sinner. Those are your options, friends. And I want to I reiterate something Pastor Andrew said, because so often I think in, in terms of missions, we think, and I think rightly, missions about, yeah, that, that means um, crossing a culture and learning a language to penetrate lostness with the gospel. That's a good definition, I think. So yes, we want to be senders of those kinds of people, absolutely. And, and the goers that go there, praise be to God, we're called to go, whether it's across the street, across town, whatever, here in this place where you are, you're called to be on mission in the same kind of way. We send, we go, but we're in sin. That's the reality. Psalm 67 should ring in our hearts as we send and go locally and nationally and internationally, which says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. And man, so many people, so many preachers say God's blessing means you getting like material prosperity. I want to keep reading this psalm here. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on the earth. Your saving power among all nations. You and I being blessed means we're part of the plan of God to make him known to nations. That's a blessed life. It goes on, it says, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. We're called to engage in that work, which you will hear much more about tomorrow, my friend Matt Bennett. So I'll leave that to him. Believe, proclaim, exhort, and engage. All of us are responsible for each one. All of us. We are not simply here to gather for edification. Oh man, edify me, right? Bring the word. I want to glean and grow. We gather though again to scatter on mission for the glory of God's name. Gather for edification, scatter for mission. Gather for edification, scatter for mission. That's the call in our lives. That's the pattern in the first century and the 21st century. God's people engage in God's mission. That's the main idea. God's people engage in God's mission. Friends, the word of God multiplies. Acts 6 verse 7 says the word of God continued to increase and uh, the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Acts 12, 24, the word of God increased and multiplied. Acts 19, 20, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. The word of God multiplies. God's word is powerful. 
we open our mouths with the truths of this book and God does his thing. God does his thing. We entrust that to him. So we believe and proclaim and exhort and engage in mission. God's at work in Columbus. God's at work in Ohio. God's at work in the United States. And God is at work around the world. We want to be part of churches that are baptizing people who say, I was far from God. And someone from this church came my life and shared this good news about Jesus with me. And I thought it was garbage. And one day, the eyes of my heart were enlightened to see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So I want to get baptized, because I believe. And we'd all do a standing ovation. My, my church does standing ovations for, for baptisms. I love it. Love it. We'll, we'll stand for a variety of things. Oh, yay. We, new life in Christ is worth standing and applauding for, friends. Amen. It is. So we see that happen in this church. It reminds us God is at work. He is not done. He is doing above and beyond all we could ask or think. And he's saying, do you want to join in? Do you want to join in on this? We say, it's scary. It's intimidating. I've talked to some friends. It didn't go so well with that kind of thing. Can I encourage you that God in his grace will do his work in his way through his people and he will grant, as we pray to him, he will grant boldness and courage. He will fill us with his spirit to make his gospel known and he's promised, he has promised to work by means of the gospel being made known. And we do this because missions is important which reminds us that worship is ultimate because God is ultimate. Peoples and tribes and tongues should worship God. We want that and desire that because God is ultimate. So when we feel a downgrade in our passion for missions, can I encourage you, don't just look to missions and the needs of the world. Look to your God. Remind yourself of how worthy he is of all glory and honor and praise and let a sight of his glory stoke your zeal to make the good news known. Fathers, we think of these matters. Lord, I pray for my own heart and for the hearts of those here at Maranatha that you would help us to engage others with the truth of the gospel in ways that would be courageous and bold and loving. I pray, Lord, that this church would continue to thrive and this church would continue to look to ways which they can strengthen other churches and plant churches. I pray, Lord, that lostness in this city would be penetrated by the gospel through the faithful proclamation of your people. And the ripple effects would be profound. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.